0: Greetings and salutations, my creative brothers and sisters. Welcome to Not Real Art, the podcast where we talk to the world's most creative people. I am your host, faithful, trusty, loyal, tireless, relentless host, Sourdough, coming at you from Crew West Studio in Los Angeles. Welcome to the 200 and something something episode. And in fact, this is a special episode because this is our Halloween episode. Happy Halloween, trick-or-treaters. Hope you are getting lots of candy today. Hope you're looking good in your Halloween attire, your Halloween cosplay out there. Whatever you're doing tonight and today, enjoy it. Be safe, have fun, and look behind you because they're coming. Zombies, ghosties, ghoulies, they're coming for you. Well, it's Halloween and I want to thank you guys for showing up. We do this for you. It's all about you and we're so grateful for you coming through, staying loyal, subscribing, liking this episode and all that good stuff you do for us to make the algorithm God's happy. I also want to, of course, as always, encourage you to Go to notrealart.com and check out all the good, healthy stuff we've got for you there. Our Artist Grant for 2024 is up and open, accepting submissions. Submissions close January 1st, so be sure to go and play today. You can't win if you don't play, so get out there and submit today. Also, of course, be sure to check out our recent episode of Remote, the exclusive video series by the one and only Badir McCleary, who is taking us on a tour of the public art installations around this country and the world and helping us better understand what these artworks are trying to say and their impact on the community so it's a fantastic series uh, remote by the one and only badir so please go check that out at notrealart.com okay okay it's halloween this is also the day of the month that i usually try to drop anyway an auditorial episode of the podcast where I get on my soup soapbox, soup can, soapbox, and talk about things that are on my mind. And usually, you know, any number of things I might chat about. But I think the vision for this is to try to pass along some thoughts and some knowledge that is hopefully helpful to you and value added to you. But today is Halloween. So as you might know, we've been running our Halloween, October promotional series, uh, Art World Horror Stories, when bad things happen to good artists. And so today I'm going to take this opportunity, I guess, to tell you my own Art World Horror Story. And so we'll get into that in a minute. But before we do, I just kind of, you know, it's funny, I was Googling about Halloween this morning and came across some interesting factoids that I didn't really know necessarily. and I thought I'd share with you, the origins of Halloween began 2,000 years ago. And, you know, it was a Celtic tradition coming out of the, of course, you know, Ireland, the United Kingdom, and northern France. And they celebrated a festival called uh, Samhain on October 31st. And just the day before, of course, many of the Mayan traditions are, are taking place. So interesting, right? 2,000 years ago. I knew it was old, but I didn't realize it was maybe quite that old. Trick-or-treating evolved from a tradition called souling. Another fun fact, souling. Um, Apparently, souling was during this uh, Celtic festival. It was customary for poor children to go door-to-door begging for food and money. And that's, I guess, was called souling. And that's where trick-or-treating comes from. Well, that's fascinating and sad and weird because, you know, children shouldn't be starving. I don't know what else 19th century immigrants popularized Halloween in the U S so Halloween got hot when thanks to the immigrants. Thank you. Immigrants. See, we need immigrants. Fucking DC. Are you listening? You chumps, you fucking assholes. Get your heads out of your asses and pass some rational, functional, practical, viable, plausible immigration reform dipshits. Sorry. Did I get political on you there for a minute? Sorry. I didn't mean to do that. Let's see. What's another fact? Jack-o'-lanterns come from Irish folktales about stinging jack. So that's fun. The actual carved pumpkin was born out of a folktale. That's great. Oh, this is kind of cool. Fun fact. Keene, New Hampshire holds the record for most lit jack-o'-lanterns. In 2013, the town of Keene, city of Keene, earned the or broke the Guinness World Record by lighting 30,581 pumpkins. Thirty thousand five hundred eighty-one pumpkins were lit one night in the city of Keene, New Hampshire, to break the Guinness World Record in 2013. Well, oh, good for you guys. Oh, here's a fascinating one. Women used to play Halloween games to learn about their future husbands. Okay, I'm not going there. I don't even. I don't want to touch that one. And what else? Oh, I don't know. There's all kinds of crazy, fun facts. Okay, I'll leave you with this one. The record for the fastest pumpkin carving is 16.47 seconds. There was apparently a pumpkin carving competition that Stephen Clark set the Guinness World Record for in 2013 by completing a masterpiece pumpkin carving in under 17 seconds. And it had a nose, eyes, mouth, and ears. So, fun facts about Halloween, people. Enjoy it. I hope you have a great holiday this year and you go out there and run into some ghosties and ghoulies and long-legged beasties. And so now, without further ado, I want to get into this podcast my auditorial my version of an art world horror story here we go cue the music all right well art world horror story my little ditty today i get to talk about my own personal art world horror story and it's funny because As I was thinking about all my art world horror stories, I realized that my perspective is a little bit unique because I've worked with artists in so many different capacities and I've worked in the arts in so many different capacities and I've screwed up big time. (laughs) I know other artists that have screwed up big time and I also have been screwed big time and I know artists who have been screwed big time. And Art World Horror Stories is about that. We're here to talk about when bad things happen to good artists. And as I look at my 30-year career, and I think back about the various horror stories, I could talk about individual stories, but I decided not to do that. I decided, or or talk about a story in particular, I decided not to do that today. I'm going to actually distill I think my art world horror stories the many that I have and I do have many I'm going to distill them down into like five core themes and five core lessons right because this is about learning from each other and passing on lessons so there are really five core learnings and five lessons that I've gotten over the years out of Art World horror stories, both my own, others, watching shit happen to me, watching me, you know, make shit of something. And so here are my five art world horror story lessons. Number one, I've learned that bad things happen to good artists when communication is poor, not clear, and/or breaks down. And good communication is difficult in the best of times let alone the worst of times but it's an art good communication but it's also you know an extra muscle that you got to exercise and there are obviously best practices around communication but fundamentally what i'm talking about is good frank transparent comprehensive real time honest dialogue and anytime We're not communicating with each other, our wants and needs, then it's hard to build intimacy. It's hard to build a relationship stronger, right? And good communication is essential in any healthy relationship, even a business one or an art world situation. Communication, good, clear, comprehensive, real time communication is essential to avoiding an art world horror story. So if you're an artist, you go out of your way to communicate with your dealers, with your collectors, with your followers, with your clients, with your family, with your kids. I mean, you got to communicate. And you know, I know a lot of artists who are introverted and, you know, shy or don't want to talk. That's okay. It's okay to be shy and not want to talk. But I'm just telling you that when it comes to your, certainly your business, if not your personal life as an artist, communication is key. Good communication is essential. clear, real-time communication, honest communication is essential, vital to being successful, to being healthy, to being happy, and avoiding a art world horror story. So number one, communicate, people. Number two, lesson I've learned, over the years I've learned that bad things happen to good artists when bad deals get done due to poor negotiation skills and I've seen this with myself and I've seen this with other artists and you know negotiation there's an art and a science to it and if we are poor negotiators we do poor deals and agree to poor Projects because we didn't set ourselves up for success because we don't know some basic tenets of negotiation. And negotiating and negotiation skills are not, I mean, they're, they're, they're it's a muscle that you learn to develop. There are best practices. Nobody's born a good negotiator, although maybe my son, <laughs> my son's the exception. However, You know, you don't have to reinvent the wheel here, people. It's uh, good negotiating skills, give you the ability to get better deals done, basic one-on-one stuff, know your price, know your walk away price, learn the power of no, walk away if they're not honoring your needs and wants. So anyway, I'm just scratching the surface, but I'm telling you one of the lessons I've learned over 30 years in the art world working with artists and doing projects with clients is that... Poor negotiation skills result in bad deals. So learn to negotiate, lesson number two. Lesson number three, bad things happen to good artists when there's no copyright protection of your work. Bottom line, guys, register your work with the Copyright Office. And yes, yes, you have some inherent copyright protection because you made it and All that, yes, but you have very limited protection because if somebody steals your artwork and you go to court and you sue and you win, you're only able to get a certain amount of reward or restitution. You don't get damages, for example, if you don't actually have the copyright for your IP and for your artwork. So bad things happen to good artists when they don't copyright their work copywriting your work gives you way more protection and leverage should anyone decide to be an asshole and steal your work and you can then take them to court and sue them and win presumably but you're not going to you know with the copyright protection you can sue for damages and perhaps you know tens of thousands hundreds of thousands millions of dollars of damages because you filed for that copyright if you don't file for that copyright you can't get that money you can't sue for damages like that so Bad things happen to good artists when you don't copyright your work. And I know you're busy. I know that it's a pain in the ass to go onto the copyright office website and register it. I get it. I get it. And I know it's 30 bucks and I think it's like 30 now, maybe it's 35. But, you know, I know, you know, money's tight and it's hard to justify sometimes spending that money, but you're really handicapping yourself into the future should any legal actions rise. And, you know, I just believe that copywriting your work should become a part of your arts practice and you shouldn't consider the APs done until you filed the copyright with the Copyright Office. So please, please, please avoid any our world horror story by applying for copyright protection at the Copyright Office. Get it copy written, people. Get that copyright. Okay the fourth lesson I've learned here in 30 years, bad things happen to good artists when there's no signed contract. Oh my goodness. How many conversations have I had over the years about, well, do you have a contract? Do you have an agreement? No. Well, you got a problem (laughs) because you got to have a signed contract because, again, should anything happen, you have a document to refer back to. Who was supposed to do what? Terms and conditions. You, you know, X for Y. It's all in that contract. And if you don't have a contract, a signed, mutually agreed upon contract, it is very hard to hold someone accountable if they don't do the right thing or don't do the thing that they said they would do and talk is cheap and a handshake and handshake isn't worth what it used to so you've got to unfortunately in this litigious world have a signed agreement, a signed contract that articulates your the terms and conditions of the deal and when you don't have that agreement bad things happen to good artists and ideally you the artist should write the contract and agreement so that you can dictate the terms and conditions and put that on the table first versus the company or client coming to you with their terms and conditions but regardless it is a necessary evil again i know it's a pain in the ass to think about signing and writing a contract or an agreement i get it i get it you just want to make the work but you again handicap yourself and put yourself in trouble if you don't protect yourself with an agreement or with a copyright protection, I mean, this is like insurance for artists, okay? And insurance that you can afford because it's, you know, none of this stuff costs much money really at the end of the day. So, and, but it could cost you a lot if you don't do it, right? So it's one of those things. It's like, you can't afford not to do this people. So get that signed contract and you will too live a happier healthier life, not horrified and mortified by art world shenanigans. If, so get that signed contract. Lesson number five, last but not least, and this is a big one. This is a big one because this is existential. This is fundamental. This is systematic. This is environmental. Number five, the, the fifth lesson I've learned over the years, bad things happen to good artists when there is weak demand for cultural product what do I mean? Well, one of the fundamental reasons bad things happen to good artists is because of the financial, for financial reasons, right? We need money to live and to work. And, you know, ultimately when we're struggling to make ends meet, it's harder to do good deals and communicate better because you're strapped and you're, and you're paranoid and you're, you know, you're stressed out. So you want to do that deal. And that's because you feel like they have the leverage, right? Like they've got the money, they get the project. You don't want that. And so it's a struggle out there being artists, is my point. And the notion of the starving artist is a horrible notion, not romantic at all, nothing romantic about starving. But the reason these tropes exist, the starving artist, so on and so forth, is in the struggling artist is because really at the end of the day, There is more supply than demand for art. We have a lot more art in the world than demand for that art. And the reason that exists is because there's no mass market for art. Regular folks like you and me are meant to go buy our art maybe at, uh, oh, I don't know, Z Gallery or something. And so, you know, the reality is the mass market feels left out of our world. And so what does that mean? Well, that means there's billions of dollars left out of the art market that would go to artists because people would be buying their artwork. So that money would be going into your pocket, right? So bad things happen to good artists when there's no money in the marketplace or when the market is small. We gotta grow the market, right? We gotta grow demand. That's how you grow the market. We got plenty of supply. Artists are making art and there's a ton of art out there, original art that's affordable and that's great. And so supply isn't the issue. Weak demand for our cultural products is the issue. So we've got to all work together to stoke demand for art and for our cultural output. And we have to develop a mass market for art. And that's going to take all of us because bad things will continue to happen to good artists when we're dealing with a small market where everybody's competing for you know the same dollar so to speak. We got to grow the market. So we grow the market, you know, bring more money into the space so that more artists can make more money and not have to experience some kind of horror story due to lack of financial resources, right? So, you know, lesson number five here, as I've watched bad things have to good artists over the years and myself, I realized that one of the core root causes of that is because there's weak demand for our products. So we've got to work together to develop the mass market for art and get those billions of dollars into the art market. Do you realize that the so called wall decor, home decor sector is a $6 billion category? And these are the things that people buy at Z Gallery or, oh, I don't know. Bed, Bath, and Beyond, or Target, or whatever—you know—the mass-produced prints and things. Okay, that's a six-billion-dollar category, and I fully believe that one to three percent of those people, if not more, would buy original art if they knew how, if they felt empowered. And there's plenty of original, affordable art out there for people priced between hundred bucks and five thousand bucks. So. Let's do it, people. Let's develop a mass market for art. That is lesson number five, and we do that. So many of the horror stories that we deal with go away because so many of the horror stories deal with our lack of money and projects, and we're out there making bad decisions because we're stressed and we're in a hurry and we feel like we need that exposure, we need that money. And therefore, we want to make that art. We want to get to the fun part so we avoid signing the contract or protecting, you know, filing for copyright or negotiating and communicating properly. So bad things happen to good artists when we don't do these five things. So let's communicate better. Let's negotiate better. Let's file for copyright protection. Let's sign, agree, and sign those contracts. And let's keep spreading the good word and advocating for our industry and building the market for artwork because weak demand is bad for everyone. we got a stoked demand for the amazing products that we have and all of our horror stories. Well, most of them, I believe, will go away. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening to the Not Real Art Podcast. Please make sure to like this episode, write a review, and share with your friends on social. Also, remember to subscribe so you get all of our new episodes. Not Real Art is produced by Crew West Studios in Los Angeles. Our theme music was created by Ricky Pajot and Desi DeLauro from the band Parlor Social. Not Real Art is created by We Edit Podcast and hosted by Captivate. Thanks again for listening to Not Real Art. We'll be back soon with another inspiring episode celebrating creative culture and the artists who make it.